welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. What have you got to be thankful for this morning? Um, I serviced my car yesterday. Yes. And now when I drive it, the belt doesn't squeal, the brakes don't squeal. Um, you know, it feels nice and healthy to drive. Um, the only thing I'm not grateful for is that it cost me like 600 bucks. Oh, uh, and you weren't even paying for labor. Uh, no, well, I, oh, you were paying for I labor. was paying for labor. I got oh, it done at a, case. I got it done at a case. shop, but they had to change That's like not such a bad deal considering they, they had to change the brakes and the rotors and you know, a few other yeah, things, so, yeah, which is, not bad. which is expensive, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, well, I'm grateful because you know, when I drive my car, it it's doesn't go. Like it was before, so <laughs> so I'm pretty stoked. I'm I'm pretty stoked. What are you grateful I think, for? I think morning? your car is going to be grateful for you this morning. For like, ah, oh, Lawson is taking care of me. Yeah, <laughs> well, he loves me. <laughs> what are you grateful for? I'm grateful that I get to do breakfast radio. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, because Speak it's good for my physical health. I found out yesterday. So, um, been having some tests done recently, and the fact that because I do breakfast radio, my meals end up being at least six hours apart. Mm-hmm. And it seems that that has been good for me recently. Awesome. Yeah. So that's been amazing. And I eat slowly, which has also been good for me. Oh, yeah. Um, speak for yourself. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I've got a few things going in my favor that I kind of see as being... Oh, and the third one is that I'm vegetarian. Oh, yeah, of course. So without those three things there, apparently I'd be in, in deep trouble right now. In dire straits. In dire straits. But, dude, you're just into it. That's awesome. It's been saving my neck, so there you go. Oh. Don't eat between meals. Have a lo- nice long gap for your food to digest and uh, be vegetarian. That means These that one, good things. once I, you know, um, turn your age, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to good things in terms of my You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Anyways, uh, let's have a look at some... Positively different news. Okay, Lyle. Yes. My conspiracy theories have been confirmed. Oh. So, so check this out. A Mars, ro- the Mars rover, right? Yes. It was up there on Mars, apparently, and it tried to cut and take a sample of some rock yes. that mysteriously. So they're saying basically, it, it took a sample into its like sample tube. It has this like little cutter on it, and it will cut some rock up, take it into it to the tube, and then when the scientists back on Earth, tried to check what's going on in the tube and do some analysis, it had disappeared. And isn't that convenient that as soon as we try to do samples of Mars rocks, they disappear? You know what that shows me? Uh, I have no idea what Mars it shows you. Mars doesn't exist. Mars <laughs> <laughs> <I> doesn't <know. laughs> The world is shaped like a donut uh, with a... Uh, with a dome over the top and Mars doesn't exist. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But this is actually a really funny story because it is absolutely perplexing um, the controllers of the the Mars rover. They're like, what is going on? They're doing all this now. Um, over the last couple of days, they've been doing all these analysis and scans as to what happened because they watched it, like take up the sample, put it in the tube, and now they've looked in the tube and there's nothing there. And they're just like... What is going on? Like, so they're they're running analysis, diagnostics tools. You I know, reckon going that over the I storage. reckon that their rock is just sitting underneath the tube. 
I think it sucked it up into the tube and then the rock fell out. Or Mars they doesn't exist. To, they just need to suck it back up again. <laughs> yes, Mars doesn't, Mars doesn't exist. This is a, a very um, valid conspiracy theory by Lawson right here this morning. Please not, do not take notice of anything that he says here on The Breakfast it Show. It is honestly, it's not. Like, because people, people, people say that. Space doesn't exist and whatnot, but the yes. problem is, is that now, what happens is that at night time, God drags a large blanket over the Earth. That's right, but it's kind of worn out, so it's got a bunch of holes in it. That's right. That's go. right. Well, actually, I've actually I've looked through a telescope and seen Mars. So, yes, and that's a. But what that is is it's a slide that people just slide into oh, the telescope. When you're oh, oh, they were deceiving me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, Braden. Because Brayden let me well, use see, his telescope. See, this, they program this into telescopes. Oh, oh, so he... Oh, that is sneaky. Ass. <laughs> that is sneaky. Uh, so when we, I, should, we should talk about some real news. When I saw Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and all those things, it was, it was incorrect. It was just not there. It's terrible. <laughs> okay, actually, some other good news. This is coming right out of Australia. Um, bandicoots have returned into the wild for the first time in 100 years. What do you mean? We used to have bandicoots in the wild all the time down in Tasmania where I grew up. No, but check it out. Um, in, in terms of like Australian national parks up here on the mainland, mm-hmm. okay. We don't have bandicoots up here? Well, they've gone extinct because of the introduction of rabbits and feral cats. This is interesting because bandicoots are very, very vulnerable. This is one thing I used to notice about yeah. uh, bandicoots because we had a lot of bandicoots when I was in Tasmania. They're probably one of the m- more common little critters that you would see running around mm. other than rabbits and so forth. And our dog was a bit of a killer. Mm. And he'd be walking through the paddock and a bandicoot would pop up and he'd almost just turn his head, grab it, kill it, shake it, drop it and keep walking as if nothing had happened. Mm. And I was like, whoa, man, these things are really vulnerable. They are. And I couldn't really, we could never figure out how to train him not to do that. Um, but he used to kill feral cats as well. So that was on the plus side. Mm. Well, a founding population of these bandicoots have been reintroduced by a team at a company called Wild Deserts. Um, the reintroduction is like a, a huge milestone for them, um, you know, as they've yeah, put this them is awesome. back in. Like, it's, it's incredible. And obviously, like, as you said, these are super vulnerable animals yeah. um, that really struggle to protect themselves. That's why they kind They're of... They're not blessed with brains. Mm. They don't have armor. They're not fast. Yeah. They're just, they're just, they're, they're just, just chilling. food. Yeah. So up here on the mainland, like they just get smashed. And yes. like I said, you know, they've, for a hundred years, they've been housed in shelters and whatnot because their numbers have been so low. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because of, actually, because of the gnarly storms that we've had that have wiped out a lot of predatory species for these guys, mostly like rabbits and cats, um, they've, seen like a, a drop in the numbers of those things so they've gone they've built up a population in which they can put back into the wild and know that they'll be safe until the feral population breeds back up again yeah that's right so see we we, we need to have a solution that we've got a semi-solution for rabbits that is kind of working we need to have a solution for cats that's right and that is lyle walking out into the Desert with a gun. That's what Lyle would you're like to do. You're never going to control cats with um, with uh, with shooting. Yeah, that's right. They're you too know, small. You, you will you will do something good for the environment, but you will never control the population. Mm. It's just too many. 
Yeah, that's tough. But anyways, they're looking forward to, for at the moment, you know, because the population is down in their predators, they're hoping that now that they've introduced them, they can build up their, their population enough to have a strong enough for like number force that they can, you know, withstand, you know, and even though some of them will lose their life to the feral cats and rabbits and whatnot, that they can mostly stand by themselves. All right. Uh, final story I have this morning. So this was actually mentioned in the, the, uh, the five minute news section that we, that we have before. I, I just heard it briefly and I was reading it at the time too. And lol, you shrugged me off last time I talked about this. You're like, Oh, who cares? That's dumb. Da, 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 da. And I was, it was because I was talking about e-waste and the chip shortage that we're having in the world at the moment. Um, that has been like completely caused some people like put, you know, the, 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 the cause of our chip shortage around the world, and this is computer chips on the pandemic. Yes. They're like, I thought you were talking about potato chips. No, 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 no. Um, like computer chips and our silicon shortage, they put it, you know, on the pandemic, and people have more devices and da 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 da. But no, from my opinion and what I've seen um, in terms of the the computing market, it is one hundred percent because of Bitcoin mining um, and cryptocurrency mining, and then people building up all these, you know, massive machines. Um, well, basically, because of this chip shortage caused by whatever it may be, um, Toyota is the first company to respond to this by cutting global production by 40%. Wait a minute. So we have a chip shortage, so you cut global production of chips. Of cars. Of that cars. need chips. This is the thing I was trying to say, and you were like, oh, I get lost. That's silly. As But they're still silly. What? What do you why mean? Would, why would a company? How would that be good for the shareholders of the company if you cut production? Because by they in half? literally can't get computer chips to put in the car to build the car. Then build them without chips. I love cars that have no chips in them. What they? They can't. Okay, Lyle. It's twenty twenty, Lyle. They can't. Human um, beings are smart. Human beings are amazingly clever. There uh-huh. has to be a mechanical solution to what is being done by these computers. That will make these cars run efficiently enough so that we can run cars. Well, that's one. Of, that's one of the biggest points. Is because of efficiency in the, the laws around the world. Like these computer chips are necessary to be able yes. to monitor that and control. So that. now all we have to do is create a mechanical solution to what the computer is currently doing. Or stop Bitcoin mining because it's selfish and dumb. That, that's that's my <laughs> that's my opinion. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Let us know what you think. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Mm. There you go. All right. So let's go to more serious news. And Fiona Patton, uh, Victorian MP, Mm -hmm. uh, formerly from the Sex Party, okay, now belongs to the Reason Party. Uh, Now, that's a tribute. That party name, of course, is a tribute to the French Revolution which resulted in 40,000 people being executed, mm-hmm. having their heads cut off. Mm. So that's a little bit scary. Now, of course, people get away with that today because people don't know their history. That's and right. this is one of the things I love about Bible prophecy is it forces you to study your history. And the reason that I know about the French Revolution and I know that they, they, they instituted the goddess of reason and so forth during the French Revolution is because... I study in Bible prophecy, and it forces me to study history. And when you understand history, then you understand the present, and you understand what's going on. And you go, yeah, okay, I can see where this person's coming from. Mm. I get their ideology. French Revolution, right there. Anyway, that's a bit scary. Uh, Let's see. She just put 
a recommendation to the Andrews government, which has uh, been accepted by the Andrews government, government to decriminalise the sex industry. Yeah, oh, we, I, we've talked about this. Yeah, we have. Okay. Um, and the idea behind it, of course, is that um, it's to create freedom, of wi- freedom for women to choose to be sex workers if they want. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's been supported by the uh, Victorian government there. Um, and it raises a number of questions because, okay, if women are choosing to be in the sex industry because that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. why is it that women in that industry are almost exclusively uh, from marginalised and disadvantaged backgrounds? Mm. That's right. That's a, that's a question that needs to be answered. Why is it that 80% of sex workers were abused as a child compared to 25% of women in the general population? Mm. You know, there's some really serious questions that need to be answered right here. Why is it that when it was legalised in New South Wales, and you can see this in any jurisdiction anywhere in the world where it's been legalised, it universally produces a surge in pimping, human trafficking and organised crime. Mm. Wait, so like it's in Victoria, it's not legal at all? Like there's no brothels or anything like that? There's brothels anywhere you go in the world. Yeah, but in Victoria there, there, is, uh, there is There is levels of legality. So you have uh, jurisdictions where a brothel will be closed down and, and everybody working and, and arrested, mm. and then you'll have other jurisdictions where everybody turns a blind eye. Yeah. And that's more the situation in Victoria. So the laws are on the books but not enforced. Yeah, okay. So so is she trying to legalise brothels or like street prostitution? Stri- everything. Right through to street prostitution. Yikes. And that's incredibly dangerous. Oh. Incredibly dangerous. Tell me about it. Okay, so th- this is one of those instances where we should be looking more closely, I think, at the Nordic model. And I remember reporting on the Nordic model, model uh, about three years ago here on, on Faith FM. And the Nordic model has now started to spread around the world. So, you know, it began in Sweden and Norway. Uh, now it's moved to Iceland, uh, Northern Ireland, um, Republic of Ireland, Canada, France, Israel have all adopted the Nordic model. And the Nordic model... Uh, legalizes prostitution and criminalizes purchasing the, purchasing the services of a prostitute. Mm. So basically what the Nordic model does is it works under the assumption that the prostitute is a victim. Mm. And so therefore if the prostitute is a victim, it goes after the perpetrator of the victim and that is the client yes. who is purchasing those particular services. And it's been incredibly effective. At the same time, what they do with that is they create uh, avenues of supporting women who are uh, in uh, the sex trade to get into other forms of employment and provide funding and support and help and places for them to Mm. live and Mm. all that kind of stuff and basically provides an exit strategy Yeah, because this is often what is lacking and and, and why a lot of uh, people find themselves, they just stay trapped in... Uh, as, as being a sex worker, um, and so yeah, this is—I mean, it—it seems to be the progressive way to do things in our world right now, and maybe it's something that we need to look into. Uh, definitely sounds like a better plan than just like, yep, just legalise. Yeah, yikes. Okay, so the uh, Taliban has vowed to establish a reformist government, uh, more in line with Western norms of freedom, and those promises are good. 
We're super glad to hear those promises. We hope that they are acted on. The thing that worries me is that the government that they are forming is called the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Mm. And so that's a union of church and state, and wherever you have a union of church and state, you have restrictions on religious liberty. That's right. Doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter who is pushing for it, a union of church and state is going to be dangerous for religious liberty. And so, yeah, promises might be one thing. Actually enacting those promises is going to be something entirely different. And leaders from around the world uh, have called for united prayer. And, you know, I think that this is something that we all can do. Mm. I think we need to absolutely join with everybody around the world from uh, not just Christians but people of all faiths because you're going to find Hindus, you're going to find Shia Muslims, you're going to find Buddhists. Uh, as well as Christians uh, being persecuted within a country that has uh, a union of church and state. And so, yeah, Pope Francis has been out there, open doors, your big mega churches in the US, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, etc. Everybody's been calling for united prayer at this time. And so I'd like to call to our listeners here on uh, Faith FM that when you spend your time in prayer, in the morning, in the evening, uh, morning and evening, or whenever it might be, Spend some time praying for the situation in Afghanistan. Mm. Uh, UK MP Ian Paisley has urged Boris Johnson to rescue over 200 missionaries that are in Afghanistan. And so, so far at the moment, uh, Western countries that are doing rescue missions to Afghanistan are focused on their citizens first, Mm. then their allies second, uh, then looking at refugees but you've got missionaries over there who chose to be there and they're kind of like, well, if you were dumb enough to go there, then why should we exert all of our effort to get you out? I would say they were courageous enough to go there to try and endeavor to make Afghanistan That's a better right. place. That's right. And mm. to bring freedom and liberty to Afghanistan. And so these guys are heroes, so let's do whatever we can to get them out. Of course, Boris Johnson has promised that he's going to take up to 20,000 refugees from Afghanistan. That's a fair chunk. Uh, although the UK does have a rather large population that is able to support a much bigger chunk. Um, So far, they've only been able to bring back 306 of their citizens. And it seems that the big hold-up over there is, of course, in the uh, people getting to the airport. But Afghanistan currently number two in the world as the second worst place for Christians to live. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Stuff. All right, number to call is 0491-064-669. Get your name in the running mm-hmm. uh, so you can win a prize or just join our bragging show community. Mm-hmm. Bragging rights bragging community. Bragging rights community, yeah. Here this okay. morning. Okay, so uh, before we go to our interview, we had a text message here. Let me just see where it went. Here it is. The only thing I can say about prostitution is what the Bible has to say, for you are bought with a price. You are not your own. And uh, I think you know that's we all need to remember mm. that that Jesus paid for us with his with his own blood on Calvary. Mm. Anyway, uh, we have Baron Newstratton joining us right now, who's an expert on the Book of Genesis. So, Baron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Al. Good to be with you. Now, Baron, last month we were talking about uh, Abraham's servant Eliezer, who is given the job of finding a wife for Isaac, which is. You know, I think in our culture, something that would be quite challenging for us to swallow, it would be very unusual if, you know, our dad took his, his best mate and said, you know, go, go, go to a far country and find a wife for my son. Um, you and I might uh, struggle with that a little bit. 
Yes, we would, I suppose. You wonder if, uh, probably not, that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, some description would have been given <laughs> to Eliezer, maybe by Isaac. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. So. <laughs> Long brunette or, or, yeah, we don't know. Now, the, the, the explanation is really um, that in the upper Mesopotamian uh, areas where, of course, in the cities of Haran and Nahor, the families of the, the relatives of Abram lived. And Abram uh, suspected, obviously, that his relatives still would be worshipping the true God that he worshipped. And so uh, the background uh, of uh, that particular religious belief would be far more preferable than, obviously, the background of any of the Canaanite women who would be outright, obviously, would be outright, um, yeah, uh, you know, Pagans. in ignorance of God. Yes. Okay, so when, we, when we've got, we've got Eliezer, and just picking up the story from uh, last month, he travels up there, uh, he waits by a well, there's a young lady who comes to the well, offers to give him a drink of water, and offers to water his camels as well. Uh, that's a pretty <coughs> impressive level of generosity for anybody to offer because camels are renowned for their thirst. Yeah. Uh, well, it is. It, you're right. Uh, the, I think when we look at that 24th chapter, uh, and I think that's very significant, Lyle, is that if you look at the nature <clears throat> of the girl, I mean, besides she, she was beautiful, but that doesn't uh, describe the character at this stage. She was also beautiful, actually, on the inside. And I, I love the, the descriptions um, that are given, that if you look at verse 18, you've got to read sometimes between the lines. Uh, when uh, he asked her for a drink, she, it says here, she quickly let her picture down to her hand. In other words, she was very quick in responding to the request of Eliezer, which I thought was nice. Then the offer, as you say, to satisfy 10 camels with water after a long journey is quite an effort, but she did that. And then finally, in verse 20, she quickly emptied her pitcher into the truck and ran back to the well to draw water. She was hurrying. Good worker. Yes, absolutely. And just sort of looking this up here very quickly, you know, a, a camel can drink 53 gallons in three minutes. Uh, that's a lot of water. Wow. Ten camels yeah. can drink 200 gallons of water. Um, it's anywhere between 200 and 530 gallons of water, so that's a lot of water. Well, there you are. Uh, there you are. All right, so she's a remarkable young lady. Uh, he gets invited home uh, to the family and he reveals to the family the purpose of his visit. Um, he reveals this, of course, to uh, the young lady, uh, Rebecca's uh, father. And, yeah, yeah how, does, how does this whole conversation go? Let's, let's just work our way through this conversation and see how it all progresses because, once again, it's something that would be out of the ordinary. For us, you know, if, if we had a daughter... And a random guy turned up. He's obviously, you know, a wealthy, important kind of guy, but nevertheless, it's a random person that we've never met before. And he says, "Look, mm. you know, I'm 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 a I'm I'm an employee of your relative that lives, you know, on the other side of the world, and uh, I've been sent here to take this young lady Rebecca back to the equivalent of the other side of the world." Um, yeah. And you know, you and I have a bit of experience in that because we both have wives from. The other side of the world, um, sure. and uh, yeah, you, if 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 we were the parents of that young lady, you know, it would be 
an unusual thing to sort of get dumped on you in the middle of of a uh, of a meal. Yeah, for certain. But uh, there are certain things in play here. Uh, one of them, the Bible does not give a lot of details on certain aspects for our argument. Say the the journey from south of Bathsheba all the way to northwestern Mesopotamia. Uh, it, it is just mentions it, but it just gives no further details. We don't know whether there would have been any exchange of, of uh, I don't know, uh, acquaintanceship between some people that might have worked for Abram, gone north. Uh, we don't know. It's hard to say. They certainly and most definitely would have known about Abram and that he was uh, obviously uh, highly respected by them. It's clear from this story, as you say, just to let your daughter go with a stranger. So to them, Abram, though they had, you know, not probably uh, uh, had some contact with him since he had left, um, they they did know about him. His reputation was there. And the fact that, uh, you know, Isaac would be the sole heir uh, gave him already uh, certainly a status, uh, one would have thought. There were significant gifts, you know, gold rings, uh, gold armbands just for watering the camels. I mean, fair enough. Half an hour's work or an hour. I don't know how long that took, but there was a very, um, what shall I say, generous uh, gesture made by the servant uh, who obviously was very genuine. It certainly impressed her brother Laban, whom we will get to know uh, in his dealings with Jacob. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So it's not as if uh, we're dealing with a great unknown. Abram's reputation, the fact that Isaac would have been his only heir, uh, that would have been very comforting to the family. And even when Abraham, you know, pursued the Elamites, he went a long way north in in that particular raid, um, and that would have been well known yeah. in the region, we would imagine. Oh, that story would be well known by them and appreciated that Abram was uh, a valiant man, that he was no pushover. He had a strong and good reputation. So we've we've kind of, you know, we've put ourselves in the shoes of Isaac, whose whose dad has sent, you know, his employee to go and find him a wife. We've put ourselves in the shoes of Rebecca's family where this guy has turned up out of the blue and said, well, I'm here to uh, to take Rebecca back if she'll come to be the husband of yeah. Isaac. Now let's put ourselves in Rebecca's shoes because she's now been asked to be the wife of Isaac. This is somebody she's never met before. Correct, correct. Uh, she would have known somewhat of his reputation, um, but by the same token, you're so right. I mean, uh, he would be about 40 years old right now. Uh, which then, you know, obviously people live longer than they do now. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it is it is certainly, she, you know, no pictures. She wouldn't know what he looked like. Uh, and, and, you know, limited communication. But uh, she must have been, um, uh, what shall I say, a worshipper of the true God and trusted uh, God. Because when you look at the account that Eliezer gives as he tells the story, his prayer at the well, and and there's another remarkable little statement that is really uh, uh, very interesting that uh, 
in verse 15 of the 24th chapter, uh, as Eliezer sits there and he is he's praying, and it says, and it happened before he had finished speaking, and there she was. <laughs> he would have conveyed he would have conveyed that story to her, and she would have believed him and believed that this was the will of God. I think this is the key. This is the really key element to this story right here, and explains some of the reason yeah. that Rebecca was willing to do what she was willing to do, was because she recognised the providence of God. In you know, she wasn't the only person. You know, Eliezer wasn't the yeah. only person who recognised the providence of God. She recognised the providence of God as well, because okay, the guy might be wealthy, the guy might have a great reputation, but he also might be a real pig, and yeah. so you oh, know. No. But when you have the providence of God involved and when you combine that with the testimony of somebody who says, no, this person is a true follower of God, then that is something that would give you great confidence. Makes all the difference. It makes Makes all all the difference. It makes all the difference in the world because, you know, you know that you're not going to suffer abuse and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that you might, by by being married to just some random person, you've actually got some really, really good background information. Yeah. Okay, so take us through the reaction of the family. Take us through the the reaction of Rebecca when Eliezer basically proposes marriage on behalf of Isaac. Yeah, he does too. Uh, of course, there are uh, there is a little line that helped the family a little bit. Uh, so the uh, Laban, or Laban, that means uh, it really means white or blonde. Actually, um, he, he saw the the jewelry and he was very impressed with that, and uh, that sort of prompted him to quickly run to Eliezer, that was still with the camels and bite them in, as you say. Then they put a meal together. Now, this is interesting. They put the meal in front of Eliezer. And tradition has it in those countries, you partake of the food first. Your bargaining is really already starting with the meal. You make the, the, your guest, uh, silver, oh, yeah, what shall I say, under obligation to you because you're feeding them. It's part of a ritual, if you like. So, so, But here he is invited. Obviously, he's shown the generosity uh, but he refuses to follow the custom of first having the meal. He wants to settle the matter first before he eats. I think that's very important. That's very significant uh, when you understand the culture. I had no idea about that particular aspect of the culture before. That's right. That's right. So so then, then and further down the track in verse 53 of the same chapter, he he, had, he got other jewellery out, jewellery of gold and, and clothing, and he gave them to Rebecca. And he also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. Now, we know the brother had a weakness for, uh, yeah, quality items that were valuable. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, the generosity uh, was very much appreciated. The intent, the intensity of the mission that he had to have, he couldn't relax unless he knew his mission had been successful. So then, according to customs, even though a parent or family hasn't must be involved, I mean, she would have, uh, Rebecca would have uh, had the uh, approval of uh, her brother, who must have been older, uh, her brother, and uh, the two might be just her brother, not the father, who would have been much older. 
and so the family has to give an approval and uh, that was given. They recognized this to be of God and as the family had full confidence in the proposal here. But she still was entitled to make the choice. And that's important. And not only that, Eliezer then, when it was agreed upon, uh, wanted to leave relatively early, more or less, the, you know, the following day, obviously. The family wanted to hang on to her and keep her for another 10 days, celebrations, and, you know, I don't know, you that's the place of her birth and where she grew up. And, the family. You know, she leaves it. When you leave your place of birth and, and upbringing, you're unlikely to return. And so this was, you know, a goodbye in, in many ways. And But Eliezer insisted that they should, he was keen to bring her to his master. He was excited by the success, the quick response and the fulfillment of his prayer, the answer to his prayer. Yeah, and he wanted just to take that success to his master, uh, Isaac. And, okay, uh, and, and, and very quickly, just as we finish off, how did this all go, how did this all pan out in the end? Well, wonderful, really, because the reaction, again, of the, the young lady is, uh, they put it to her, are you going, are you willing to go now? And she says, I will go. Yes. Uh, that says a lot about it. That says a lot. There's another thing, two more very quick things about who get them in. That when they go back, when they go back, uh, they meet, you know, that's south of Bathsheba. So it's quite a journey. And and then she sees in the distance a man and she uh, has him identified as, you know, obviously uh, as Isaac. She, she covers herself with a veil. That was the custom of the country. Jacob himself got caught out later on when he thought he married Rachel, but it was Leah in the morning. Remember that? Yes, indeed. Yeah, okay. The other thing that I thought is very interesting uh, is that she actually, uh, what shall I say, she, it says here, to meet her future husband for the first time, she chose to descend from the camel to the ground. Uh, it was a a, a, a a gesture, not so much of submission, but as respect. Yes. And that tells you a lot about the girl as well. There's some really interesting points that you're bringing out here. I'd love to keep talking about this story. It is such an interesting story, but we're going to have to pick it up again next month as, uh, of course, Isaac and Rebecca are married and then start tracing their journey through the book of Genesis. Uh, Baron Neustraten, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Pleasure. A pleasure. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.